Welcome to the Startup Competitors Podcast, where we talk with early stage entrepreneurs and to understand what information they use to inform product roadmap, strategy, and market differentiation. Want regular updates on moves your competitors are making? You can learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Hey there. Today we're chatting with Vince Wong, who's the Chief Commercial Officer for Genoscopy. Genoscopy is a St. Louis-based healthcare company that is changing the way that we do cancer screening for gastrointestinal health. Specifically, they're working on a non-invasive way to screen for colon cancers, and there's some other things that they're looking to roll out in the coming years. Vince and I spend a lot of time talking about what it takes to build and roll out that first technology from a go-to-market perspective. So marketing, sales, account management, things like that. And then we talk a little bit about rolling out future products, direct-to-consumer. We play around with some other ideas. Great conversation. I learned a lot. I hope you will as well. Check out Genoscopy online, G-E-N-E-O-S-C-O-P-Y. And go find Vince on LinkedIn, connect with him, tell him thanks for coming on the podcast. And thank you so much for listening. Hope you enjoy. With that, I also want to do a quick shout out to Fuel Merchandise Group. Fuel is one of our newer sponsors here to the podcast. You can find them at fuelmerchandise.com. If you need any brand marketing or products for your company, you can get 10% off your first order. Just mention startup competitors at fuelmerchandise.com. And with that, we'll just get right on to the show. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to the podcast. Today, we're chatting with Vince Wong, who's the Chief Commercial Officer for Genoscopy. Vince, welcome to the program. Thanks, Mike. Uh, great to be on the program. Why don't we open things up with a quick pitch for Genoscopy? Why don't you tell listeners what you and the team do? We're a venture-backed startup based out of St. Louis, commercializing technology coming out of Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis to develop non-invasive stool-based tests for gastrointestinal health. Our lead product that we are in the process of developing and about to kick off a 10,000 patient clinical study is for colorectal cancer screening and will allow for not only early detection of cancer, but also identify precancerous polyps, which helps the prevention of colorectal cancer, which at the end of the day is the whole point of screening is not only early detection of cancer, but also the ability to identify precancerous growths or polyps in your colon that can be removed and therefore prevent cancer from occurring in the first place. It's a platform technology that's not only for colorectal cancer screening, but we're also developing applications for other gastrointestinal diseases, such as irritable bowel syndrome, irritable bowel disease, including ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease which are all kind of areas of significant unmet need from a diagnostics perspective. All right. This is normally where I'd ask you a bunch of clarifying questions, but you have appropriately taken us down a path where I don't want a bunch of clarifying questions, which I'm sure you hear all the time. Why don't we go into kind of current status of the company paint a picture? Is this still two folks in a garage? Are you positioning yourself for a Series C right before your IPO? Any vanity metrics you can share about Genoscopy to kind of let folks know where you guys are at as a team? From a funding perspective, we actually are just closing our Series B, but we're subscribed. And we'll be also closing uh, not only significant equity financing, that includes a strategic partner, 
which you can't share right now. But uh, once it's announced, everyone will know who that is. And then we'll follow the equity financing uh, shortly with significant venture debt round as well. Our product is in development, but we have uh, FDA breakthrough designation, which just means that the FDA sees that there's a significant unmet clinical need and patient need out there, and that our technology presents a promising solution to meet that unmet need. What that translates into is expedited FDA review, and we expect to be on the market by midsummer of 2022. We presently have 35 employees. Most of us are based in St. Louis. I'm personally based in Indianapolis, and uh, we are going to be using the financing that we're receiving to significantly scale our commercial operations to prepare ourselves for a significant nationwide launch. I think you might be the first Series B funded company I've had on the podcast. So I, I may end up with a couple of questions around that. But first, you're developing these technologies. Do you guys also plan on doing the manufacturing in-house? Do you just develop the technology and then, you know, once you've got that, you outsource manufacturing? What are the current thoughts about that? Our present operating model in the U.S. will be a centralized laboratory model. Technically, under FDA perspective, we are a manufacturer, but we're also the test performer and provider. And so we will ship kits, collection kits out to patients throughout the country, and they'll return those kits with their sample back to our laboratory in St. Louis, where we'll process the samples and deliver the results back to the patient's healthcare professional. XUS will likely be pursuing a less centralized model because of the market dynamics that exist in XUS markets, where we will probably likely partner with a diagnostics platform manufacturer, such as Roche Diagnostics or the like, um, where I came from prior to genoscopy, where we will kit the test into a decentralized format and deploy the test through instruments that are installed at thousands of labs throughout the world. So we'll have a different operating model between the US and XUS to accommodate kind of market conditions. Talk to me a little bit about your role as chief commercial officer. Are you responsible more for sales and growth and you know the partnerships needed to do that? Or is it more the operation side of the logistics for how we're going to eventually build out facilities to process kits, maybe paint a picture for your role within the company? More of the former than the latter. So my responsibility is to develop all of the go-to-market strategy from a market development, market access perspective, marketing perspective, and then ultimately sales as well. And then all partnerships and business development efforts as well. I'll also be responsible for building out all the revenue cycle management order to cash and patient support functionality as well. I know I won't be managing finances, finance operations, and then also the, the laboratory personnel as well. That will not be in my remit. What does patient support mean? You know, patients may call and, and inquire about their insurance coverage of our test and what level of out-of-pocket exposure might they have. Okay, so like a customer success, customer support kind of a role. Exactly. A physician office might call and inquire about our test or inquire about reimbursement for the patient and then kind of back end as well, you know, any questions from the patient around the test results or from the clinician as well. When you step back and look at the market, is there anybody else 
who's doing what you're doing in terms of, you know, the type of screening that you're building out now? Or are you guys going to be the first ones to market? So the existence um, prevailing standard of care in the United States for colorectal cancer screening is colonoscopy. And, you know, for anyone who's had a colonoscopy or has had a family member had a colonoscopy, you know, they can probably be a pretty good testimony with regard to the desire to avoid that kind of invasive procedure for colorectal cancer screening. It's invasive. It requires a lot of prep in terms of diet restrictions and consumption of preparatory liquids that are not pleasant and then requires sedation and typically takes a day out of work to have a complete procedure done in recovery. So definitely doesn't fit well within the busy lifestyles that um, most of us lead. And so people are increasingly looking for non-invasive means of getting their colorectal cancer screening done. There are a number of non-invasive options. Probably the most popular or well-known of the options that are out there is Cologuard that's offered by Exact Sciences. You know, they definitely are the 800-pound gorilla, if you will, in the stool-based colorectal cancer space that we'll be competing with head-on. Our value proposition is around, as I indicated earlier, the ability to detect precancerous polyps, or otherwise known as advanced adenomas, that allow for a patient to avoid having those polyps turn cancerous. These advanced adenomas, which are larger polyps, are the ones that are most likely to metastasize and, and turn into cancer. And you know, you want to have those removed prior to that evolution. And so our test, based on our clinical study, first published paper that we got published about three weeks ago, demonstrates our superior ability to detect advanced adenomas than any other non-invasive option that's presently available. Talk to me a little bit about how marketing and positioning works for a product like this, at least as you're envisioning the, the initial launch, which I'm sure is different than when you're five years out. But I mean, I'm assuming there's some level of education for providers and consumer, like when you just big buckets of time and energy, when you think about rolling out a product like this, where are you thinking about spending that time, money, energy on a rollout like this? So first and foremost, healthcare and diagnostic testing and is a bit different than most products or services that are offered out there in that, you know, our products are reimbursed by insurance providers. And so you might have the best technology, the best mousetrap ever developed, but if it doesn't get paid and covered by insurance companies, then that technology will die on the vine. And so our first priority is to get from the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which is the largest payer in the country, and it covers everyone 65 and above, to agree to cover our tests. And so that requires getting FDA approval, developing clinical study results that demonstrates the clinical efficacy of your test, and them seeing a need to provide this kind of service or product to their Medicare beneficiaries. And so we've already begun those discussions with the federal agencies, a CMS, to introduce ourselves and give them an understanding of, of what we're trying to achieve. And so that's going well. We're also engaging other private commercial payers as well. So the big five commercial payers in the country are like United, Aetna, Cigna, Humana, and Anthem. 
And then there's a number of regional payers across the country, like Blue Cross Blue Shields of Massachusetts and Indiana, et cetera. And so engagement with all the medical directors of those commercial payers to introduce ourselves and share with them the data is part of the market development process. I know that you just hit the first bucket of probably several, but I just want to go a little bit deeper there for a second. What's the noise that you're trying to cut through there? How many new technologies are potentially trying to get in front of these people for time and attention at any given point in time? It's definitely very crowded for sure. The good news is that colorectal cancer and colorectal cancer prevention is a very high priority topic for payers because of one, the increasing prevalence of colorectal cancer, especially amongst those that are younger. And we just saw the guidelines change by the U.S. Preventative Task Force that lowered the recommended screening age from 50 down to 45 because we're seeing, unfortunately, increased incidence of colorectal cancer even amongst those that are in their 40s. So in colorectal cancer, if caught early or if caught even before it turns into cancer is very, very preventable with the appropriate screening. But unfortunately, because of the invasive nature of colonoscopies, the screening rates for colorectal cancer are lower than what we see like in breast cancer or cervical cancer. And so payers who understand and appreciate the value of prevention and screening, you know, if you can come with a technology that helps bridge that gap in screening compliance, then they're pretty open to having an audience for sure. Keep going on other places when you think about that initial launch, where else are you kind of focused and spending money? Payers, the first pillar. Second pillar are clinicians and engaging with key opinion leaders. So there are key thought leaders in colorectal cancer screening amongst gastroenterologists and also internal medicine as well. You know, their opinion about what are the best screening methods have an overweight influence on the practices of other healthcare professionals. And they can influence ultimately what's in the guidelines of medical societies. And so if you can get your technology included into guidelines, then that very much increases the likelihood of your test being adopted as part of the standard of care in everyday practice at the community level. We've begun that engagement as well and have had really great discussions and and dialogue with some of the key opinion leaders in uh, colorectal cancer screening. The other area of significant influence are patient advocacy groups. So cancer patient advocacy groups are very engaged. These are typically groups of people who are survivors or family members of those who have suffered through colorectal cancer. And they're very engaged with regard to education of other patients and also advocacy with federal agencies as well to get technologies adopted and covered. And so we've begun engaging with the relevant patient advocacy groups as well. And then also general patient awareness. You know, we have not yet launched products, so we're not doing product-specific advertising per se, but we have begun to do market education around what are these polyps, these precancerous polyps, and why do they matter? And, and really elevating the importance of identifying these polyps for cancer prevention. And so trying to establish thought leadership there. Those are kind of the big four buckets. And I'm assuming that was pretty much in priority order. Once you're launched and in market, do those priorities shift? Maybe that first bucket, 
the insurance provider is probably the best place to start, right? So once you're approved and there's reimbursement happening, do you still have to stay in front of those folks and stay top of mind and keep spending money there from a marketing perspective? Or I don't know if it's marketing or something else, or do they just slide to the bottom now because it's more like, okay, as long as we're an effective technology, we're fine until the next product comes along that we we eventually want to get reimbursement for? Certainly, you know, there's a bolus or intensity uh, of work up front to try to get included into an insurance company's coverage policy and then ultimately get it contracted in network with them. But once that's done, then the intensity does kind of go down to a kind of a basal rate of account management and, you know, just ensuring that there are no barriers being placed to grant access to an insurance company's beneficiaries to our test. What would be an example of a barrier? So there are a number of tools that sometimes payers might implement to make it a bit challenging for patients to gain access. So things like prior authorization, where the payer might put just kind of procedural hurdles to ensure that a particular test or therapy is appropriate for a particular patient. They've done kind of all the necessary things or that this test is indeed medically necessary. I don't expect that necessarily to be present within our product just because, you know, screening is so well accepted as an important thing to provide patients access to. Most founders start companies because they figured out a better way to solve a problem or serve a need. Not because they love tracking payroll, filling out compliance forms, and explaining employee benefits packages. And yet, all that stuff still has to be done. That's why there's Full Stack PEO. Full Stack PEO specializes in turnkey HR for emerging companies. Not just those core services, but advice and expertise that helps founders maximize employee potential. Curious? Find more at fullstackpeo.com. All right. So then you've launched, you've got approval there. Where does the focus shift after that? Is it really now just letting providers and clinicians know that like, hey, this is approved, it's out there, it's available, it has this kind of impact, and you should be using this instead of a colonoscopy? Yes, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of clinician awareness and detailing that has to be done. You know, I think that's where our partnership, our commercial partnership that I alluded to earlier is going to really come into play because they have a significant footprint already into the physician offices that we would want to be targeting. The model is that we'll strive for their folks to serve as uh, you know lead generation that then can be supported by our own sales force to provide that next level of detailing to the healthcare professionals. Let's go, if you can, let's go deeper on that. You know, obviously most of these conversations I do are with SaaS companies. That's where a lot of my years of experience are. So I intuitively understand what a go-to-market looks like for a SaaS product company. In this world, I don't. When I hear we're going to be marketing to a clinician or a provider, is that an actual ad? Is that sending somebody to the office to do education sessions? Is that leaving product you know, potential free diagnostic tests on the shelf at a place so that they're there and they're available and they can use them. When you think about actually rolling this out, what are some of the like on the ground tactics you're using to win somebody over to this new technology? I think of these things as kind of multi-channel, right? So there's like air support and then ground troops, right? So from an air support perspective. All right. This is the conversation I wanted. I love this. All right, let's do it. 
So from an air support perspective, there's congresses, there's journals, there's webinars, medical education forums, where that kind of clinician education can be done at a higher level and, and at a broader reach. You can also support that with kind of targeted social ads and kind of meet the clinicians where they are in terms of where they want to learn and receive information about new tests and treatment options for patients. And then closer to the ground, it is doctor office by doctor office <laughs> influence behavior. And, and fortunately, there's a lot of data that's available to healthcare companies in terms of which physicians are prescribing what tests or what therapy. And so all healthcare companies purchase these data sets and mine them to identify who might be an earlier adopter, who might be a mass majority, and who might be a late adopter. And then through that segmentation process, kind of titrate your sales effort accordingly. So I'm assuming this first technology for any company is the most difficult one to launch, right? Because you're not just launching a new technology, but you're forming all of these relationships. Let's talk about the next solution that you and the team deliver, whether that's six months from now, 24 months from now, whatever, you come out with the IBS diagnostic screening. What's different about launching that second or third or fourth technology versus this one? Is that Does all of this just become easier because now people know the brand, they know you, you have these relationships, or is it full stop, rinse and repeat, we go back to the beginning, we do all of this again? With regard to the payers, because it's a completely new test for a completely different indication, it requires a completely new clinical study and clinical results to be then presented to the same payers. So you can leverage relationships, but the process to get a test covered, you know, you're kind of starting back at square one again. With regard to clinicians, you know, certainly they'll have familiarity with your brand. And if you perform well and, and deliver a good positive experience on your first test, the likelihood of them ordering a second test that you might bring to the market will obviously be higher than otherwise. But at the same time, the test for the different indication for IBS or IBD has to stand on its own merits from a clinical impact perspective. And so, you know, a physician's not going to order it just because they like your brand. They're, they're going to order it because they think that this is going to help in the ultimate diagnosis or treatment of, of the patient that's sitting in front of them. I don't expect I would ever wake up one day and say, I'm excited to go get a colon rector cancer screening. Like, I, I'm not just going to go online and buy that kit and do that myself. I will need my doctor to force me to do that. I'm guessing. But like with something with IBS, and I'm sure there's a, a bunch of other technologies that you guys might be looking at where or potential screenings that could almost be sold directly to a consumer where maybe there is somebody who would just pay for it themselves without reimbursement. And, and IBS feels like one that I could see that. I know a handful of people with IBS and I, you know, and I think if there had been a way for them to self-diagnose years ago, they probably would have. Do you guys ever envision that as a path where there might be something that's direct to consumer or is that so far jumping the tracks from a business model perspective that you would say, you know, maybe someday we wouldn't rule it out, but not on the radar today? For sure. I think that's one of the things that has been a silver lining of the pandemic is people have gotten more engaged in their healthcare than they were prior to the pandemic. Everyone wanted a COVID test that they could do at home. Increasingly, people are also adopting telemedicine. So, you know, all of these factors are kind of driving towards more kind of consumerization 
of diagnostics. And we see that as a significant opportunity for us to serve patients in a digital, engage with them in a digital way and serve them leveraging uh, digital platforms for a variety of of different indications. Then immediate next steps from a team perspective, when you look at like, then maybe you're the proxy for the team here in this question, when you look at like the next 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, based on where you guys are at right now, what does that tactically look like for you? We are kicking off within days our registrational clinical study of, you know, 10,000 patients. That is a significant milestone for us. We are all hands on deck with regard to focusing on launching that and successfully executing against that. And that will take us around six months, which actually is very, very fast. And we're accomplishing that through the leveraging of digital platforms, actually, which be close to your heart, Mike. You know, typically uh, clinical studies are done in a centralized site way where there's like maybe 10 or 12 clinical sites that are identified by a manufacturer and they direct all the patients to try to go through these particular clinical sites. And then they try to enroll patients through those clinical sites. That's a very expensive and time-consuming pathway. We've taken a decentralized approach where we have actually recruited patients through social channels and have navigated them through a combination of both digital engagement and messages and call center resources to uh, navigate them through our clinical study, which helps us very efficiently and effectively target and enroll patients into our clinical study and then get them navigated to a community physician in a very, very efficient way as well. And then a second byproduct of this, in addition to kind of the efficiency and speed that this enables, is also is the demographic that we're able to attract. Most clinical studies, because they you know t- tend to, again, be centered around these academic medical centers, they tend to kind of attract socially, economically more affluent people. They tend to neglect underrepresented minorities. And also, they tend to neglect rural populations as well. And what we've been able to do is enroll patients in a way that our patient demographics actually reflect the real-world demographics of the United States. And so African-Americans and other disadvantaged minority groups are equally represented into our clinical study, and so are rural populations as well. And so the FDA and other agencies who are really concerned about healthcare equity and patient access to innovative technologies, they very much like the approach that we're taking because it sets a good standard of what good looks like with regard to being inclusive of the entire population of the country. That's awesome. So in a post-COVID world with the other technologies, I'm assuming your plan is to just continue to leverage the same path going forward? Or do you think you'll eventually go back to kind of that more traditional site-based approach? We will stay with this. It has proven so much more efficient and effective that we see it as definitely an enabler for us to catalyze development of our products. If folks want to learn more about Genoscopy or want to get in touch with you directly, what's the best way for them to do that? Our website is genoscopy.com, G-E-N-E-O, scopy.com. If they're interested in participating in our clinical study, which we encourage you to do, they can go to 
colonscreeningstudy.com. That's colonscreeningstudy.com. And you can enroll. And if you're qualified, you can participate in the clinical study. I feel like I have to ask what qualifies me. So if you are 45 and above and don't have any prior history of colorectal cancer, and you haven't received a colonoscopy within the last 10 years, then you are, there's a couple other qualifiers, but those are the key qualifiers to allow you to enroll. Right on. And if folks want to get in touch with you? Email me at vince.wong at genoscopy.com. And you can also find me on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. Vince, thank you so much, man. This has been great. I appreciate you being patient with me and taking the time. No, great questions, Mike. I really enjoyed it and uh, appreciate the opportunity to share our story. Startup Competitors provides monthly handcrafted email updates on your top competitors. Keep up to date on new hires, marketing activities, events, awards, new product launches, pricing changes, funding, and a bunch more. Learn more at startupcompetitors.com. Startup Competitors.